We are going to be concluding uh, a series that we began as part of our 15th year anniversary. We entitled it Braving Change. Um, and it's really a, a, a pivot point for us to recognize of not only of these first 15 years that we have to, to look back on, but really try to present some vision and direction and charting a course about what the next years could look like, the next 15 years, that what real life could look like. And it really was driven by a, a church leadership book that I, I read earlier in this year where the author compared where the church is today, where church culture is today, back to the adventures of Lewis and Clark, if you remember from your, your history book days. They were making their way or finding a way that Northwest Passage. And, and there were a couple of big points that stood out, not only in the book, but that we wanted to present today in this, uh, in this closing. That, that as Lewis and Clark got out to what is now current day Idaho, the, the Lehigh Pass, it was for the first time they recognized that the world in front of them was nothing like the world behind them. And when we think about doing church life in the next 15 years, we have to come to some kind of understanding that we are facing a brave new world, that we are, are finding a culture that, that is changing like never before. They tried to canoe up the Rocky Mountains, and they realized that that, that wasn't going to happen, and they had to adapt or they were going to die. And I think that same message is true for the church today, that we recognize that we will do church differently, that, that these next 15 years are going to be different than, than what got us to this point. I think another key point as part of our series was the power of incredible partnership, that Lewis and Clark took 33 what were known as the core of discovery to help them on that expedition. They were smart enough to know that they couldn't do it alone. They had to have partners who were all in. And I think that's another kind of teaching point over these last couple of weeks as we thought about our 15 years, that, that how grateful I am for real life, how grateful I am for you and those who were maybe here before you and for those who are going to be here after us that, that believe in the mission and believe that, that what God put together through our lives, that God has truly been faithful. And, and my heart is just so overwhelmed uh, as we've talked about these last couple of weeks, our story, to realize how faithful, man, what, what great words that the worship team led us in, that as he was faithful then, that, that he would be faithful now. And to think of the stories and the pictures and the incredible things that, that have happened in so many of your lives that I'm, I'm deeply, deeply moved for that. And I want to give you today maybe four challenges that will help us in our days ahead. Powerful things, I think, that, that will help guarantee that as God has been faithful with real life in the past, that God will continue to do that. And I want to base it around this theme about being all in. As much as God gave uh, direction for Debbie and I, and much like in the story, that, that there was a commissioning of Lewis and Clark to go into the unknown and, and to find something, that in the same way as God gave vision to, to Debbie and I, we recognized that we could not do it alone, that it would not be possible, that there would be this incredible partnership that needed to be formed. And today, I want to challenge every one of you here today, partnership of what this challenge goes out to every one of us is, is maybe a sign up again as the partnership of what does God have for me, what does God have for us in the years to happen, and how can that happen even in a greater way through real life today? And I want to give you four things about being all in 
about being all in. In fact, say that with me. All in. Thank you for the three of you that are all in with me today. Come on, say it with me. We are all all in, right? So the first one that I believe is going to be a, a milestone for our days ahead is that we are invited. That we have been invited and that we are inviting others to understand what God is doing in this place. I think one of the core themes of the gospel is the idea of God's welcoming presence to all humanity. I don't know if you have ever been uninvited to something, but how many know that's a terrible feeling, right? Have you ever maybe scrolled through Facebook and saw a picture of all of your tribe, of all of your people at some event, some restaurant, some gathering, and somehow your invite never made it to you, anybody, right? And man, doesn't that just like, hey, hey what's going on? Like, how, how, why did I not get the invite to, to what was going on? I heard the story of a, of a young preacher that went to share ministry in a small church and before he spoke, one of the elders came to him and said, hey, like not, not to put any extra pressure on you, but we need you to be like really good today. Uh, we got a call in the office that there was a young lady who w- was calling, was inquiring about the church and said that she was going to come to church this Sunday. And that doesn't happen very often. So, so listen, like we need you to be like on point. How many say no pressure to be a guest speaker that Sunday, right? Yeah. And so he kind of was waiting for the service to start. People were gathered out in the lobby, and, and all of a sudden she saw, he saw a young lady begin to make her way towards the front door of the church. And he quickly realized that she didn't look anything like the ladies who were already inside the church. They all had nice dresses on. They were wearing nice shoes. They were carrying gigantic Bibles. She was really the epitome or the opposite of of everyone who was in the church. And when she walked through the door, he heard one of the ushers approach the lady and said this to her, is that the best outfit that you have? And she was taken back by that and he boldly went on to say, we believe in this church that God deserves our best and so we wear our best to church. That was her intro to this church that, that she was hoping to connect or, or to realize the need that she had in her life. And she did what I expected her to do. I don't know, maybe what you expected her, but she turned around and she ran out of the building. You see, one of the greatest truths of the gospel is that Jesus always invited, he always invited people that were rejected. And I think that if there is going to be a a milestone for us, something that, again, needs to captivate our heart, is that not only do we recognize that God made an invitation to every one of us to come and have a seat at the table, but it is upon us in this ever-changing culture and atmosphere that we are going to look to people who may look different than us, that may act different than us, that maybe have come from a different place from us, but yet we recognize in the same way they are invited to the table. In Luke chapter 7, we read a story where there was such a profound moment where this happened in the life of a young lady. In fact, Jesus got invited to one of the Pharisees' house for dinner. This was a big day. In fact, 
kind of have to set a little bit of background to you in this kind of situation because some of us, we read these stories and, and it's almost just like, it's just that. We're just reading a story. But, but this was an actual live event. You see, being invited to a Pharisee's house was definitely a big deal because they were big shots in the community at that time. And so Jesus takes up this invitation to be able to go to this house. And more times than not, this was just a way for a lot of these religious leaders to almost like a a dinner theater. A lot of these houses were built with big porches. And and when people heard that a big banquet was about to take place, that, that they would come and they would gather around because the who's who of the community was showing up. I guess if we could parallel it a little bit today, it's like when there are these celebrity gatherings right? And, and there are hordes of people that line the red carpet in some way of some hopes or glimpse, right? To be somehow connected with the celebrities. Well, this is really the background of the story of Luke chapter 7. That, that Jesus gets invited to one of these kind of parties where there was going to be kind of high influential people, that there was going to be talk and there was going to be things that were going to be spoken about and done and shouted about that, that the common people had, had really no access to. It was almost like a dinner theater was about to take place. Now, again, you have to go back with me some 2,000 years. How many know there wasn't Netflix 2,000 years ago, Right. There, there was no Xbox for people. Uh, in fact, they couldn't binge watch the, the housewives of Jerusalem, right? Somebody, right? They realized that, that why these were such a, a big event and why they were such a big to-do because people in the community kind of poured out somehow to get a glimpse or a touch of, of these people, these celebrities, and they somehow fantasized that, that maybe one day or that I'm going to get an invitation to an event such as this. And then right in the middle of the party, a woman of the streets walked in. And the Pharisees gasped. She, of all people, was not on the invite list. I'm sure there was a lot of murmuring and conversation. How, how did she get in here? What is she doing here? Does she not know who we are? Does she not know what this is all about? And I think what I can piece together is this, that everywhere that this woman went, maybe every day men used her and abused her, that women glared hatefully, scorning her every step. I'm sure that in every waking moment that she would have felt unloved, never feeling real love, maybe shame that has been a part of her life, realizing that she would never be invited anywhere that mattered. And maybe here's something else that I know in circumstances like that. Maybe you feel some of those very same feelings today. Maybe the feeling of not being good enough, of feeling guilty, maybe of where your path or where your story has been or Maybe how you ended up in the situations that you have found yourself in. Maybe these are things that have happened recently or happened in the past and somehow you still have not been able to feel a breakthrough moment. That there's always this sense, man, if people really knew my story. Or maybe there has been some baggage or some things that you feel as much as you've tried to run from seemingly always are are felt dragging behind you. I never thought whatever 
I never thought I would be divorced. I never thought I would have to file bankruptcy. I never thought I would never have contact with one of my children. I never thought I would end up in the nightmare that, that has been my life. And so regardless of the party that was going on, this woman of the street pushes her way past. Probably she falls down at the door to stop people just like her. And she falls down at the feet of Jesus. And she has this jar of extremely expensive perfume and ointment. And she begins to pour it on the feet of Jesus. Listen, don't miss the fact, again, we have to go back into the story to recognize that this was probably her most valuable possession. This was her financial nest egg. This is what maybe if some hope that she could ever leave the life that she was in, that somehow this would provide for, for whatever was to come. And yet being overwhelmed in the presence of Jesus in that moment, she takes everything that she has and she declares through this one act that I come to the feet of Jesus and I offer the very best that I have and I worship and I cry and acting repentant at the feet of Jesus. And Luke captures a moment, boy, if it doesn't define what was taking place in the moment. The owner of the house, the one who had invited everyone to the party, you can read with me in Luke chapter 7, he mumbles under his breath. In fact, I won't take the time to tell you the whole story, but Jesus calls him out in this moment because he mumbles under his breath. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, of what kind of woman she really is, and that she's a sinner. I don't know if you can feel the arrogance or the pride in the heart of this man that represented those who were representing the religious community of that day. But even in that moment, they were separating themselves from the less of humanity. If he only knew her past, if he only knew what she partook in on, on the evening nights in Jerusalem, if he knew her story, what she truly was, then, then he would know that, that it would be repulsive to him. You see, I want you to know, church, that our communities are no longer Christian. And some of the things that we may have joyed 15 years ago or 50 years ago to think that, boy, people are going to be so receptive to the heart and to the ministry of the church or to the message of the pastor. Listen, the world in front of us is nothing like the world behind us. And we are going to be encountering with people that really want to know, who are you? What is the church really all about? How accepting are we of the junk and the garbage that people walk through? Are we inviting to the mess that people find themselves in? You know, when I read this story again, I really questioned why. I mean, why would this woman walk out in public into one of the most uninviting atmospheres in her world? To have her past and probably her presence so blatantly displayed, so horribly defined in front of everyone. 
Well, I don't think that Luke really gives us necessarily the direct answer to that, but could it be that in these days prior that maybe it was this woman that was in the back of the crowds as this king, as this God of heaven began to minister and care for those around Jerusalem who were downcast and downtrodden. In fact, you can see the dichotomy so, so starkly as Simon, this, this spiritual leader of the community, was questioning who Jesus really was in the moment based on his accusation or, or based on his encounter with this woman. But maybe it could have been in these few days that as she looked in the back of the crowd to see this who claimed to be the Son of God, not spend more time up in the Pharisee's house, but much more time in the alleyways and the darkened places of that city. Maybe it was there that she saw Jesus reach out and touch the leper. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, no one touched the leper. They were diseased. They were unwanted. They were uncared for in the community. And I know that you and I, we read through it like words on the page that Jesus touched a leper. But Jesus did something that nobody was ever willing to do. Maybe she saw something like that that sparked in her heart. If he could do it for him, maybe he could do it for me. Maybe she was there when Jesus spit into some dirt and made some mud. And he put it onto a blind man's eyes. And he prayed over him. And as he washed that dirt and mud away, to hear the exclamation, to hear a blind man who had been blind his whole life begin to rejoice and begin to shout, because I once was blind, but now, praise God, I see a miracle that happened before her very eyes. Or maybe she happened to see what Jesus was writing on the grounds. When these very same men who were at this party had rocks in their hands. And maybe she saw what he was writing about love and forgiveness and salvation in the dirt as she heard rocks drop all around as they took this woman who was caught in and pronouncing new life into her. You see, could it be that love and grace and mercy are what we need to be known for more in our days ahead than they have been in our days behind us? If I can ask you as real life, what will guard us? What will drive us in these last, in these next 15 years? Is that we recognize the world in front of us is not going to be like the world behind us. And we are going to be confronted with a different world, different beliefs, different challenges. And it will be upon us as the church to recognize, are we still here to help heal lost humanity? No matter who they are, no matter what their story is. Can they know that there is a place where they can be healed emotionally, where their sins can be forgiven, where the world might wash them away, but God is going to wash them clean 
where no one would ever walk with them or associate with them. But we have a church that's willing to say, we are here for you. That people would be invited into the presence, into the house of God. Second of all, that we would be known as people are invaluable. The second in that would be a milestone for us in our years to come is to recognize that everyone is invaluable to God. You see, you're not just valuable because of who you are, but we are valuable because of what we have been created for and the purpose that God has placed into our lives. Listen, there's no accident There's no mystery about how you found real life. You see, the the connection point is because somehow you recognize, you realize that God was starting to knit your heart with people that were like-minded, that were like-hearted. And together, not only does it become singular, but now with this amassed strength that, that, that the sum becomes greater than that of its individual parts. When I look to the church of Corinth in the New Testament, there are a couple of books that, that, that bear their name. Again, it's important for us to know a little bit of the story. We recognize and we read some of the things that Paul outlined for us about this church, but what do we really know about this church? Well, it, it, it helps, again, to set the, the foundation for us today. You see, the church at Corinth was primarily, at the beginning, made up of slaves and for those who were not born of noble birth. And so Paul recognized they were the, the lost ones of, of the society. Those were, that were cast away, that were, that were kicked out of, of all of the places. And it was from them that this great and amazing church was was birthed. And so Paul gives not only them, but I think for you and I today, an understanding about what the power of a collected body, about what the church is really created to do. Let me try to challenge your thoughts a little bit, just to maybe help make this point a little bit more. You see, although we are all individually different, there is something that takes place when we unify ourselves to others. So let me quiz you a little bit. How many know that if you have one elephant, you have an elephant, right? But if you have a bunch of elephants, what do you have? You have a what of elephants? Come on, somebody. Yeah, a herd of elephants. Hopefully David got that when he goes to Africa all the time, right? Yeah, you have a herd of elephants. How many know if you have one lion, you have a lion, but, but if you have a lot of lions, you have a, a pride of lions. Hopefully that little guy knew that or somebody whispered him the answer or saw my notes. Okay, now I'm going to make it a little bit tougher. If you have a cheetah, you have one cheetah. But if you have a lot of cheetahs, what do you have? Believe it or not, you have a coalition of cheetahs. Yeah, you can Google this stuff, right? If you have, now it's going to get even better. If you have one crow, you have a crow. But if you have a lot of crows, you have a, oh man, some of us, yeah. You have a murder of crows. I don't know who came up with that. Kind of makes sense though a little bit, doesn't it? If you have a vulture, you have a vulture. But if you have a bunch of vultures, you know what you have? You have a committee of vultures. 
How cool is that? That's why we have no committees at Real Life, right? Doesn't that kind of connect all of the dots for just a minute, right? You say, Pastor Jim, what's the point of all of this? Well, here's the point. A single animal has one name, but a group together takes on a whole new identity. Again, we have to go to the backstory of Corinth about why this is so important for you and I today. You see, Corinth was filled with sinners and slaves and losers and nobodies. That was their identity. But through the power of Christ that came into their lives, their lives took on a whole new meaning. Somebody say amen today. You see, they were now the body of Christ. They were the church of the living God. And they became a memorable and a powerful church that speaks life to the church today. You see, they were no longer identified individually because of their sins or because of their background or because of their birthright. But now, collectively, although they were sinners or losers or no, something wonderful happened. The power and the synergy of the power of God and the work of the Holy Spirit began to do something in their lives that one day we were nobodies, but through the power of God in the mission of the church, we became somebodies that the church world is going to look back on for thousands of years to recognize as he is faithful now, he is going to be faithful in the days to come. You see, it helps us to understand the story even more. But let me caution us. You see, we recognize this favor of God with humility. And we recognize today that, that God has formed and shaped each and every one of us, not just because of who we are, but because of how we were created and the purpose that God put inside of every one of us. You see, it's this whole partnership theme as well. It doesn't, it doesn't build on Debbie and I. It builds on the, the creativity. It, it builds on the, the purpose of what God is doing in you that, that, that form together, that, that maximizes, that expands the work of God through our lives. You see, and yet with humility, we recognize, God, if there is a part for me to play, no matter where it's at, no matter what it is, that's what I'm willing to do so that people know the love of God, so people hear the, the message of God, so people are, are touched by the love of God. Are you listening to me today? God, what is it that I can do? What, what giftings, what, what blessings are in my life so that I can make a difference? You see, Paul goes on to help these that now were, were feeling the power and the presence of God. At one time, they didn't have much to offer, but now they recognize, wow, what God is doing in their lives. And so Paul spends several chapters reminding them of this, that we humbly serve out of the giftings that God has put in our eyes, in our lives. You see, the truth is that, that Paul expanded this thought, and he gives us this teaching about the body of Christ. And he goes on to talk about how the eye is not the ear, right? That, that the elbow is not the nose or the knee is not the foot. He, he begins to help us that, that in collectively or, or individually before the, the collectiveness of the body that we are all different, that we all have little places and pieces to be able to serve and to live and to give, but yet there's something in humanity, right, 
It's, it's not of the kingdom of heaven, but it's certainly of the kingdom of earth that, that we start to categorize. It goes right back to, to the story at the Pharisee's house. Because it doesn't take us long to recognize, well, people on the platform are, 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 are more than, than the rest of us. Or I, I hold this leadership position and, and, and that makes me better than, than the rest. And listen, whether you believe it or not, I've been in church long enough to know that you can go into churches and you can feel the hierarchy. You can feel on a human sense who feels that they're more important than the rest. How, how much weight that they carry that, that is better than, than this position or, oh, they only do this in the church, but, but I do that. Am I speaking truth today? You see, it's not in the kingdom of heaven, but, but boy, it's part of this kingdom of earth. And so Paul addresses this issue. You see, you might have been nobodies and, and losers but through the power of God, God's able to form us into the body of Christ and your giftings and your talents, that God needs all of it to function, function wonderfully so the body of Christ can fulfill the dream and the mission, but it has to be done humbly. Everybody say that with me. It has to be done humbly before the Lord, where we say, listen, there's no one that's any better than anyone else. There might be different positions, different opportunities to serve, but no one is better in serving in any other way. But it's easy for us, right? Because we know the eye is better than the ear, right? Come on, how many know that? Of course that's true. See, no one has an ear-to-ear -ear conversation. Yeah? When you're in love, you don't gaze into each other's ears, do you? Come on, you can laugh. You can lighten up a little bit. How many beauty is not in the ear of the beholder? How many know James Bond would never be in a movie for your ears only? Right? You see, we have to recognize that, that there will be a fight in humanity. Right, even in our serving for God. That's why they were looking to kick this woman of the street out of the party. She doesn't fit our mold. She doesn't fit who we say we are. And so Paul writes to us. So I want you to know, for some of you, you might feel slighted, that you might feel insignificant. You might feel like, yeah, Pastor Jim, I, listen, I, I just know like there are people here that, I mean, they just, they're just better. They just serve. They just, like, like, so Paul writes this. Some of the parts of the body that seem the weakest and seem like they're the least important are actually the most necessary. You see, I want you to know if the enemy has been whispering to you that you don't matter, that no one cares, that you have nothing to offer, that you have nothing to give, can I tell you what God has to say about you? And then you can choose to believe who you want to believe. So the enemy is going to tell you you're still a nobody. But God says you're amazing. God says I can't do it without you. 
And I know you're going to believe the words of the enemy for a long time to say, oh, but, but Pastor Jim, I don't have your skills. I couldn't talk in front of people. I couldn't do this. I, and, and we believe the lies so amazingly well. And yet when the truth of the gospel hits us, we want to push back from that. But I want you to know that you are blessed. You are honored. You're cherished of God. That God built you. God created you. God gave you. God purposed you for such a time as this to be a part of the wonderful body of Christ that not only for our todays, but for our tomorrows as well. So make sure you're listening to the right voice of God. So even when you feel the least significant, let me tell you, God says you are the most necessary of the kingdom of God. You see, God says you're invaluable. God's called us to be an influencer. We're parents. Now, I know when I was growing up, an influencer we're parents, maybe a coach or a teacher, but I recognize today that term has been hijacked. How many at least understand that today? Right? If you're an influencer today, then that means that you're a celebrity or you're a content creator that has amassed a huge number of followers on social media. But the problem with our current view of influence is that typically it starts with a platform, Simply meaning the size of your platform determines the scope of your influence. But how many know that some of these so-called biggest influencers are some of the fakest people around, right? I mean, this whole terminology, this whole understanding has just been kind of flipped on its head. And so I want to bring you back to reality today. You see, I think... What really starts and what has lasting and true influence, it always starts with people, not a platform. You see, and if we are going to be true to the calling and the mission that God has placed in our lives, it's always going to be that we are people-focused, not platform-focused. I shared with our worship team today as they were here early in practicing, I said, listen, God is not calling us to be entertainers today. God is calling us to be leaders in worship to him. If you want to come up here and entertain, then go find somewhere else to do that. But here we want to help people move into the presence of God to know that they are valuable, to know that, that there is influence, not based on a platform, but based on a people, based on an individual that they feel and they experience the power and the presence of God. You know, we've talked a lot in these last couple of weeks about how Debbie and I and, and really a handful of other people got the ball rolling that, that became everything that we get to enjoy today as real life. But, but God just kind of brought to my remembrance this week, but there is so much more. You see, when I look back at my life, I, I'm, I'm thankful for godly parents who from the time that I was young gave me the opportunity to to know Christ or to be in a home that was going to be not fashioned after the things of the world, but, but we're going to have our focus on him. You want to talk about the world behind us being different. So I grew up in very rural central Pennsylvania, and I know it's a lot different, and maybe over the last couple of years, but, but going to movies was wrong, right? Anybody say a slight amen? You, you, you're, you're my age, right? Like going to school dances were wrong, right? 
all of these things. And, and, and it was a different culture than certainly what it was today. And I'm not going to speak to any of that. But as much as I didn't understand it or maybe even appreciate it back then, and not even to the specifics of those kind of things, I'm glad that I had parents that were guarding my growing up to be focused more towards God than the things of the world. And I'm not here to define what is what, but I'm just simply to tell you, I realize that I'm grateful for godly influence. Parents that were willing in the midst of that culture, in the midst of that uh, world to say, Jim, you might not like it, you might not understand it, but we are going to keep your eyes to the cross. I'm glad for that kind of influence in my life. I'm glad for a woman, Marlene Ralston, that when I was probably six or seven years old and somehow came to some understanding that, that I needed Jesus in my heart. I was a kid, but somehow I recognized that, that through the message or through that moment, and, and as a little boy, I remember I could take you to the spots that I walked down an aisle like we have now, and I knelt, and it was another lady in our church, one of the Sunday school teachers that was very influential in my life, that when I got done praying that prayer, it was her hug that first embraced my life. I'm glad for her influence in my life. When I was in junior high, we had a, a guy by the name of Thurman. He was our Sunday school teacher. He was a coal miner. He was a big, massive guy. And when he would teach a bunch of junior high boys kind of lessons from the Bible, oftentimes he would start to cry. He would get all emotional and worked up. And, and I remember my, my own feelings, and I'm sure some of my buddies just kind of like, like, like what is going on? Like, why, why is he crying? Like, we, we couldn't put together, we couldn't connect the dots, and yet here's this big, rugged coal miner, and yet when he had the opportunity to influence and share the gospel and the truths of Scripture with a bunch of 15-year-olds, it just moved him with compassion, thanking God that I have a moment to influence these young boys into the call and to the mission of God, and it broke his heart wonderfully for the wonderful gift that he was given. I remember Carl and Bev they were our volunteer youth leaders. Our church was smaller. We couldn't afford a full-time youth pastor. And I look back to realize that although they were working full-time jobs, they would come and run a youth service. And when we had a youth event, that, that they would drive us or they would take us or they would load us up in vans and haul us all over central Pennsylvania to connect whether with other groups or to do activities or, again, keep the focus that, that as a youth group, that as, as kids that have an opportunity to know God, that they'll do everything that they get. They didn't get paid a dime to do that. And I look back and I say thank you to Carl and to Bev because they kept introducing a young punk kid to Jesus everywhere he turned around. And 40 years later, I look back on my life, and I have to thank God for these influences in my life. But here's what I want you to hear, friends. You see, real life is the harvest in which those seeds were originally sown. You see, you wonder, how did you get here? Well, can I tell you, I got here because of people like that in my life. Had I not had that kind of influence, those kind of people that were willing to do whatever, whenever, whatever the cost, Debbie and I would never be here in, in the storyline 
real life would never be here. Do you get that? And I want you to know that they put a person first, not a platform. And today we have so much to be grateful to God about. And I want to encourage some of you today, just because you don't see a harvest doesn't mean that your seed hasn't taken root yet. So mom and dad, you're still going to battle your kids over the things of the world or the things of God. So I encourage you to keep their eyes. Keep their eyes on the cross. Say thanks to a teacher who's taken some time every Sunday not to play games with your kids and entertain them but they're telling him about Jesus, that they are building a foundation with you, putting an influence in their life that what they might face in the days ahead that they know that they don't understand today, but they're being anchored to the rock of Christ Jesus. Pray for Bailey and Caitlin as they spend time with your students, recognizing it's not their job to save your kids as parents. It's your job, right, to take that priority, but they're willing to spend endless time. They're willing to stay up all night. They're willing to drive hundreds of miles so that your kids can be influenced with a bigger picture of what it's like to serve God with other students around our state and around our country, and they are influencing to stay hold and stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we cast seed, and sometimes we wonder Does it really matter? Well, I'm glad for Marlene and Thurman and Carl and Bev and my mom and dad who planted some seeds and I wish I could go back to every one of them and say thank you. Thank you for the influence that not only has changed my life but hopefully changing the community of Erie and the church of real life today. It might have taken 40 years but he was faithful then. Come on, church. And he's faithful now. Jesus said that we are to be what? The salt and the light of the world. Are they not influencers? Is light not influential? Is salt not influential? Whenever they attach themselves, whatever they react to, there is something that sets it apart. And Jesus said that you are the light of the world. So can we shine brighter in these darkened times? We are the salt of the earth. Can we influence the culture, the taste of what is happening in our world around you? Listen, either culture is going to change us or we are going to change the culture. So I challenge us to be influential in these days in which we are to walk. And the last thing I want to share with you today is that God is asking us to be invested. To be invested. You see, we're in football season right now. We hear people saying that they're fans. That's really just a a short cutoff of the word fanatic, right? Let me show you a slide. How many think these guys are invested? Huh? How many of you are willing to leave your home, right, and drive and then go amidst like 50,000 people painted up like this and then be in the cold or whatever, right? something that seems only to be attached around football. We call them fans, but it's really a shortened term for fanatic or fanatical. And so I want to leave you with this. I wonder how many of you are fans of Jesus. 
How many of you are fans of the gospel? How many of you are fans to say, listen, even in my discomfort, pastor, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to help push the gospel forward? doesn't matter what I look like. doesn't matter what I have to do. Whatever, whatever is called on me, I'm invested into the church of Jesus Christ. If real life is going to be here for another 15 years, it's because we will be invested to give and to serve. You see, there is no question our commitment, our involvement is much greater when we are invested. How many know if some of you, you had an old beater car I mean, it was, just, it was just a junk, just a junker. And, and you had your friends, and they asked you, hey, is it all right if I, if I eat in your car? How many would say, listen, you could throw up in my car. Like, I don't care, right? It's a piece of junk, like, like whatever. But how many know if you buy, like, a brand new car, like your car, the car of your dreams? I mean, it's, it's mint. It's, it's beautiful. There, there's not a mark on it. And your friends ask you, like, hey, you mind if I eat in your car? How many know quickly you would say, listen, you can't even breathe in my car. Don't even think about eating in my car, right? We do that for a car. Why? Because we're invested. And so I want to challenge you today. You see, the problem is with most people in the church, unfortunately, we are invested in the things that don't last. You think more about your stuff, your cars, than we do about the eternity of the kingdom of God. You'll put more money in your vacation than you will in the work of God. Why? Because it's going to satisfy your need, not the need of the kingdom. You're going to invest in the things that are going to be here for a moment and then are going to be gone. And yet there is eternity that hangs in the balance and you realize that the hope of the world is the local church and some of you don't invest anything to see it move forward. Or at best you give God your crumbs when God has done everything for you. Where God has invested his very best and we dicker back and forth about what are we going to do as if we are the owners. Jesus said don't store up your treasures and things that are going to rust, that the moth are going to come or thieves that are going to Church, let me tell you, he says that you have got to invest in the things that are going to matter for all of eternity. Church, let me tell you today, the key truth today is God has created you and I to pour and not to store. And if real life is going to go strong into our days ahead, it's because you and I are going to be invested in our giving and in our serving. Listen, I'd love to patty cake it for you. I'd love you to make feel make you feel good about it. But you are missing out on one of the tree on one of the true truths of the gospel, and you are missing out on your obedience to God, and you're going to miss out on His blessings in your life. That's the band. They're going to come and help me today. You see, God wants you to pour your gifts to the church. God has invested so much into you in so many ways, and God is asking you not to be a hoarder of that, but to be able to pour that. You see, God has blessed you in so many ways, in every one of those areas, every one of those ways, are valuable. Just like, just like Paul said to the Corinthian church, for some of you, you think, I've got nothing to give. 
I'm just a nothing. And Paul said, no, you're everything. In fact, in fact, this church is going to speak for the millennium. People thousands of years in the future are going to know of the life and the sacrifice that you have made here in Corinth. You seemingly nobodies are going to have an impact that is going to be multiplied a million times over. You see, and every one of you have a gift. When I got to the church that Debbie and I were pastoring just before we came back to Erie, the church had received an endowment. There was quite a bit of money that came into the church, and there was a church meeting. I was brand new, and, and we had a gentleman in the church that was extremely wealthy. And when the financial reports were put out, the church had put all of these investments into the bank savings accounts, which again is not a bad idea, but it was gaining like 0.0012%, right? And he said, why, why don't we take all of this money and put it into an investment firm like the Assemblies has here, our, our Heritage Investment Services? Why, why don't we put it into the things where godly people are running it that are giving us 4% or 5% on our money versus this 0.1 or 0.01%? <laughs> and the church just kind of collectively went, we, we've never had money. We've never known what to do with when we've had money. That, that's an amazing idea. And every quarter, we would get a check from our investment group of thousands of dollars because of the money that was being invested that we would probably have gotten $2 from, from the bank. How many of you know what I'm talking about? See, somebody knew what to do with the investment that we were given. And it was a blessing that he not only used in his life, but he wanted to bless the church with. I mentioned some of you that are teachers and God's gifted you in ways to work with kids and we have a need for kids. And I know I, I've said it before, some of you are like, Pastor, I work with kids all week long. The last thing I want to do is work with kids on Sunday. Then, then you need to come to the altar today because that's your gift. And you're not, you're not using it if you have a heart for kids and, and you can't use it in the house of God. Why are you using it for the world, which again is good, but then why are you not using it in the house of God, right? Some of you are designers. You, you can see things. And for the longest time, Debbie has, has helped out with that, but she's only one person. And some of you have real creative skills and you have a flair, and yet you've just been burying it. Or you've just been holding it. Listen, I'm trying to talk about some things that, again, these are the elbows, the noses, right? You say, oh, pastor, that's, that's so little, that's so insignificant. But what's the Bible say? Sometimes those turn out to be the most valuable. And so I want you to know that whatever you have, that it's valuable to the kingdom. It's valuable for our future. Some of you are tradesmen and can do things and recognize when, when and how things need to happen. So God wants you to pour out your gift. But he also wants us to pour out our blessings. See, God is not a keeper. God is a creator. And I think sometimes we manage God's blessings with a spirit of scarcity. I think that's the trouble with our giving or our tithing at times is because we think it's ours. And we don't know, like, what to do with it or what if it's gone, Pastor Jim. 
we, we have this spirit of scarcity. And so we struggle 10%. You see, you don't worry. You don't have to worry about, Pastor Jim, I don't know how I'm going to kind of cut the slice of the pie even thinner to do what God has asked me to do. You see, what I want you to understand is that God can make you a whole new pie. Hello? You're worried about, like, how you're going to do it when all the time God says, listen, it's mine, and I'm helping you, and I will help you to do it. What I'm asking you to do is to pour, not store. You don't have to worry about how you're going to make the ends meet. God says, I was faithful then. I'll faithful today. I'll be faithful tomorrow. Test me. Try me. See. We said this to somebody else. Listen, I, over the years, I, I recognize some of you that are brand new to tithing, that 10%. And, and I was guilty in my early years. Like, like saying, okay, listen, I understand. I know it's hard. So why don't you try? Just give 1%. Give to Watch what God. I, I stopped doing that years ago. Why? Because it's not accurate to the Bible. I'm not asking you how it's all going to work. I'm going to tell you that God's going to make it work when you're obedient to what God says. So I'm not going to tell you to give one or two or three. I'm going to tell you to bring your tithe to the storehouse, to pour and not store, and watch what God said that he will do on your account and on behalf of the church. See, I've been this long enough to know even if you're quiet, it doesn't matter. It's not going to stop me, right? Let me finish with this. At the beginning of the year, I just felt God speak to me about live to give. Listen, our church budget has been good, but I mean, we ride the ragged edge month to month. It's been like that since we church planted and, and we're, God's always been faithful. How many know the air conditioning was on right during the summer, the lights are on today? How many know God's good, right? And, and God spoke to me, Jim, you need to let them know, not just are we going to have this mentality that we got to bring it into the storehouse, but we got to bless others that, that are partnering with us. And so most of you know this year that we talked about the foster care program, that, that we wanted to give to, to, to track and to pal, and we wanted to bless people. And, and even in that, I was like, God, like we're, we're just kind of making our budget like it's good, but but I'm not sure about how much excess. And we wanted to make sure that our budget was met and we wanted to give $5,000 every quarter to WorldServe or to missions or whatever it was. And you heard me on that second quarter that through JOA and through your giving to WorldServe, we gave almost $10,000. Not just five, but $10,000. And then, then we had PAL and, and, and we had track and whatever. And, some of you helped, and you remember, we got a call from this little football team they were trying to put together in Erie, and they're like, hey, if you can help us serve nachos and cheese for four weeks, we'll give you $10,000. In fact, it was so crazy is that we put a bunch of people together, and unfortunately, the, the, the league never really formed. They only played three of the four games. And so I kind of told the organization, I'm like, hey, hey, we're glad to help out, but I recognize you don't need to pay us because we didn't, we didn't do the job. We didn't do the service. And they're like, no, we told you we were going to pay you $10,000. We're going to pay you $10,000. And they paid us $10,000. You see, I, I could have fret in January and February, like, I don't know how this is going to happen, God. I don't know if people are going to give. I don't know. But God says, hey, Jim, listen, even if they don't give, I'll give. How much did we get each time? 
$10,000. What is that? Roughly, we could call that an amazing tithe. Right on the number. Well, now we're going into this last quarter. Like, how's our giving? How, how, how are you feeling? What, what are we going to do? We've got projects. We've got Christmas baskets. We have Thanksgiving baskets. And I got a check about two weeks ago, an anonymous letter. Say, Pastor Jim, we just need to let you know that God has been good to us. God's been amazingly faithful. And we know that as he is faithful to us, that we need to be faithful to him. And so we want to bless real life. And there was a check for over $20,000. So how do we go into this next quarter? Just a tithe? Just a tithe? No, God says, you know what I'm going to do in your last quarter, Jim? I'm going to double. I'm going to double whatever I've blessed you with this year. Listen, I don't know if this was a Pentecostal church, I'd have probably got an amen, a hand clap, a thank you, Jesus. You see, I want you to know that God has something for the church of Jesus Christ. God has something for real life. The days ahead of us, although they will be different from our days behind us, yet they will still be maybe even glorious in our days ahead. So I need to ask you, are you all in? Are you willing to invite? Are you willing to be inviting? Do you recognize that you are invaluable to the kingdom? That we can't do it without you? Are you willing to invest? Invest your gifts. Invest your money so that the gospel of Jesus Christ that I'm going to say, Jim, I'm going to pour. 